1: In my life where I was feeling a lot of, um, of despair and, and hurt and fear because I was thinking about raising my children in a time, the times that we live in, and um, a lot of fear of how I was going to do that and do that the way God would want me to do that. And I remember not even being able to express into words to my husband what exactly I was feeling and I remember him holding me and me just going to sleep and being in that place when I fell asleep. And throughout the night, waking up several times over and over. And each time that I, that I would wake up, I would hear the words to a praise song that was very familiar to me at the time. And those words that I would keep hearing over and over were saying, you are my shield, my strength, my fortress, deliverer, my shelter, strong tower, a very present help in time of need. And I remember waking up many times during the night and hearing that over and over. And the next morning when I woke up, I felt impressed um, by the Lord to, to read Psalm 61. And it said um, from Psalm 61, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call out to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. And when I read this verse, um, I just so identified with it and I couldn't believe that I felt like the Lord was just sharing with me that he had really heard my cry, that he knew my desperation, that he knew the place that I was emotionally when I was calling out to him. And every time I would wake up in that despairing feeling, he was reminding me that he was my refuge and my strong tower. And I would go back to sleep, and I thought, how how neat of that, how neat of the Lord to do that for me, just as I would my own children. And when I got to verse five, um, my heart really did leap because it says, "For you have heard my vows, O God; you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name." So we have this up in our home as a constant reminder of um, the promise that He gave to me that night and, and that morning when He shared with me um, that He had already given There's me a heritage, heritage of those who would fear, revere, and honor his name.
0: Ago, my my family went through a difficult time. Actually, it goes back even farther than that. But for about four and a half years ago, some things began to happen in in uh, in our lives, in our ministry, and, and uh, uh, family situations, and various stuff. And things things got really difficult. And uh, about three years ago, I found myself in a situation where I wasn't real sure where I was going or what I was going to do. Um, and and just really struggling with a lot of pain and hurt. And um, I, during that time, I spent a lot of time in reflection and prayer and seeking the Lord and studying the Scripture and uh, found a lot of comfort in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, Paul talks about a lot of different things, um, but uh, the main thing is that he talks with love and encouragement towards his brothers and sisters at the Church of Philippi. As I went on and I was trying to make some decisions about what I was going to do with my, my ministry and, and uh, what direction I should go, I, um, I formed a, a band called Forward Motion and, and uh, wrote a song by that name and everything else. And it kind of all comes from this verse in Philippians chapter 3 uh, because in the process I, I read uh, of reading Philippians, I read this where Paul says, uh, starting in chapter, verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord for his sake i've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ and be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in christ so i thought if paul could uh, count the loss of of everything as uh... in his life as rubbish uh, that. for the, for the sake of knowing Christ that that I I could do the same with the small bosses that I was dealing with. And so down in verses 13 and 14 it says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forget, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. And so that's really kind of where the name Forward Motion came from. The words of Paul were comforting to me that um, that everything that's happened in the past remains in the past, but my job is to, to strain towards what's ahead, and what's in, and have a um, keep going forward and press on to the things that I know that God's called me to do.
2: you that may not know, uh, that last sign means that John and Regina are expecting twins. I told our first service that all the gift cards we had, we may should have given to them instead of hand out at Walmart and um, fair value. I'm the street. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the the series that we're starting uh, today is called Life Verses, and uh, a few weeks ago, I was having breakfast and reading my devotions at the time and um, realizing that the study in James would be coming uh, to an end in a couple of weeks. And I was kind of trying to figure out where God wanted us to go because I did not have a definite plan uh, at that point in time. And that exact morning as I'm sitting there, um, out of nowhere I thought to start with, but I think it was from somewhere, I had this thought come to my mind of life versus Uh, from the standpoint of how you and I, in our lives, need verses of Scripture that are very important to us, uh, that that speak to us deeply, and that can direct our our lives. Uh, So from from that thought, uh, I contacted our staff and our leadership team, our lay leadership team, and I asked uh, each person uh, to have a Sunday. Uh, and today it was John and Regina Sunday. So each person, one of our staff, or each Sunday, one of our staff, or one of our lay leaders, and their spouse both will have a live verse to share with you. Some of it may be video, some of it may be live uh, here on the stage as they uh, do so. I'm kind of leaving that uh, up to them. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about that. I'll bring the message. A couple of times others will bring uh, the message next Sunday as uh, Brad and Brandy uh, will be sharing their life verses, and Brad's going to be bringing the uh, message uh, next week. Uh, I want to give you a, a, a date, uh, and this is no reflection on Brad or anyone else who will be sharing, but on August the 17th, if, if you have to be somewhere and miss uh, one of the the messages in this series miss mine. Don't miss August the seventeenth, and here's why. On August the seventeenth, uh, that's Ken and Macy nights Sunday, <laughs> and Macy sent me a message wanting to know if she could have uh, both of the services herself to share. And of course, those of you that know, some of you are visiting today may not know, that she's been going through uh, uh, lymphoma cancer. She's been proclaimed cancer free. Uh, you know, right now, but she she wants to share that Sunday, and I can't wait <laughs> to hear her do that. So, if you miss something, miss me. Don't miss that one. Uh, you know, but uh, today, as I said, is John and Regina Sunday, so we're just going to kind of jump in uh, to their verses. Uh, Regina, uh, of course, was in Psalm sixty-one, in verse five, and the Bible says there, "For you, O God, have heard my vows. Uh, you've given me the heritage of those who fear uh, your name." Um, In in that verse, there's two main things I I want us to think about this morning, and and the first one is simply this, a God who hears, because that's what the first part of the verse says. It it, it says, God, uh, you you have heard my vows. Uh, Thank God we have a God who hears us, amen, that will hear us when we cry out to him. The, uh, the all-powerful supreme God. That's what uh, the word means there in, in the Hebrew, Elohim. Uh, that God hears us intelligently. That's always blown my mind. Does it not blow your mind that, that God somehow, even though there can be hundreds of thousands of people maybe across the world praying, he can single you out and me out in that moment that we're praying to him, that God has that type of, Of capacity, to hear us intelligently as we cry out to him. And in this case, it talks about vows, a a promise that you make to God, something you're going to do for God, something that you're going to give to God. David started out this psalm, to give you a little bit of background, crying out to God because he knows that God would hear him. He he said in verse one, the first part of verse two, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer from the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. There's a sense of urgency. If you will really grab the flavor of what David is saying, it's as though he's crying out with a sense of urgency. He's saying, God, hear my cry. Listen to the prayer that I'm giving you because right now my my heart is faint and I kind of feel like I'm at the end of the earth. He's not talking about literally, physically being at the end of the earth. I think he's using uh, what I would call spiritual geography. Spiritual geography is like this. He felt like he was at the end of the earth. In our day and time, we might use, I'm at wit's end, you know, as, as that type of mentality, or I'm at rock bottom. Uh, and, and he's kind of communicating that. He, he's saying that I, I feel like I'm at the, the ends of, of the earth. Hey, have you ever been there yourself? Have you ever felt like that? Hey, have you ever felt like, man, I'm at wit's end, I'm at rock bottom, I don't know what to do? Here's good news for you. God listens when you cry out to him. You know, you, you can, in the midst of that disparity, you can cry out to God and, and He is there to, to hear you. Some uh, theologians believe that this particular time in David's life was when his own son Absalom was rebelling against him. So what had happened, Absalom was not only wanting to take the throne, he had people hunting David down to take his life. You know, how would you like to be in that situation? All of us have had difficulties before, but here you've got your son that has led a rebellion against you and he actually wants to see you dead and he's wanting to kill you and he has people hunting for you in, in that moment. And he cries out in in that time for God to to help him. Aren't you glad that God hears us? Aren't you glad you can ever get so low that God can't hear you? Jonah was in the belly of a whale and God heard him. No matter what your circumstances are, you need to take some some confidence in in the fact that God, God hears. Now, there's a positive to that, that God hears us, but there's also a serious note to it. Because God hears us, and when it comes to vows, and that's literally what David said here, when we make vows to God, guess what? God expects us to keep them. Not like a promise we can make to someone else. You know, kids come up and say, you promised to take us to Carolyn's, and we say, well, but I meant this or some other excuse. You know, you you can't give God an excuse. He knows for sure what you said and what was going on in your mind and heart whenever you said it. God expects us to keep our vows. In Ecclesiastes, we're told something about this. The Bible says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes from much business in a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. In other words, we need to be careful what we tell God, what we promise God that we will actually do because he's a God that, that listens, a God who hears. Positive part, but a serious part. But also in this verse that Regina chose, and by the way, when um, I, I told John when I called him to talk to him a moment about it and everything, I don't think I say anything to Regina about it yet, but when Regina, when they first sent me that verse and I, and I turned over and read it, I thought that's kind of an, an, an obscure passage of scripture. Uh, you know, So it probably was for her when God dropped it on her too, a, a, a little bit. But uh, I, I thank you for choosing it, Regina. I've been blessed to study it uh, this, uh, you know, this past week and a half or so. But not only does it talk about a God who hears, it talks about a godly heritage. A godly heritage. And I think it's probably what was going on and why uh, God dropped that in her lap for her to think about. Uh, it, the last part of that verse said, You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. But before I kind of jump into what God is saying there through David, I want to give you a little bit of background because I think David knew full well that a godly heritage is something that's desirable, something that we ought to desire. And you can gain that idea by looking at what he says in the second part of verse 2 down through verse 4 right before the verse that Regina chose today. David writes and he says, lead me to the rock that's higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Well, when you think about a heritage, what, what better heritage could you have than God being your rock? Huh? Then, then God being the, the literal foundation of your life that you can stand upon. When Jesus told the, the story about the man that built his house on the rock, the man that built his house in, in the sand, and, and, and the one that stands, if you want the kind of life that can can stand, you, you build your your life upon Jesus because he's the rock. In the wilderness wanderings of the children of israel as they were making it through the desert there's this rock and they needed something to drink and god told moses to go up and strike the rock and it provided water the bible tells us by the way the rock followed them through the wilderness have you ever noticed that i've never been walking anywhere and a rock was following me if i did it would flip me out i think there's an avalanche taking place or something like that you know but I believe that's what happened because that's what the Bible said. The Bible also said that they didn't have to have any new shoes because God made the shoes and the clothing grow uh, along with the kids as they were growing. Man, I wish God had done that for me. You know, It would have saved some penny charge cards and things like that as the kids were growing up. Now they're grown, don't have to worry about it uh, because their feet's not going to grow any bigger. But, but, but God, God was making provision for them. And the truth of the matter is the, the Bible lets us know that Jesus is... Is that rock? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul writes these words, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, talking about the rock of the wilderness. And then he tells us this and the rock was Christ. That rock was literally like a preincarnate appearance of Jesus. And you and I by faith have have Jesus to be our, our rock that we can build our, our lives upon. It's a heritage that we ought to desire to have a godly heritage, to build our lives upon upon him. He, he used this phrase. He said, you, you have been my refuge. You've been a strong tower against the enemy. He said, I want to dwell in your tent forever. I want to take refuge under your wings as shelter. And a lot of theologians believe that's a reference to the wings of the cherubim on the mercy seat there in the tabernacle or, or the temple. And he said, I, I desire more. Well, he's saying, God, I, I desire this heritage. God, I, I want to be with you. I want to be underneath your protection. I want to be protected by you. I want you to be, be my rock. David understood that a godly heritage was something to be desired. He said, lead me to that. Lead me to that. That ought to be our, our cry to say, God, lead me to that type of heritage in, in my life and in your life. As I was studying this, I, I looked at the heading of the, the psalm, and I, I don't, Regina may have noticed it. John didn't know. He kind of laughed when I told him about it. And he said, well, I'll tell Regina uh, about it. But do you notice that the very first of Psalm 61, it says, lead me to the rock, and it says, to the choir master with string instruments. So that's who she's married to, yeah. you know, here. But the image of the Lord as a rock is one that's very familiar in what David wrote. Look at some of these instances of it. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. For who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? The, the Lord lives and, and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My only rock, my refuge is God. Time and time again, David wrote about that, about this, this heritage of, of God being his, his rock. So that's the background to what he goes on and he says in the second part of verse 5, Regina's verse You say, You have given me the heritage, in the second part of verse 5, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. A a godly heritage is also something to be be experienced. David, as he writes there, uses a term in the Hebrew for giving that means to give with the greatest latitude possible. David is saying in this huge way You've given me a heritage. He could look back upon his life and and see what God had done in his life and the godly heritage that God had provided for for David. The word heritage is an interesting word also because it's not something that's passive. It means something occupied, a conquest, an inheritance, a a possession. The root word means to occupy by driving out the previous tenants, which draws in in my mind the picture of the children of Israel going into the promised land and having to drive out those tenants to take possession of of the land and possessing it in their place, to seize, to to inherit, to to expel. He uses very active language when it comes to having a, a godly heritage. And what I mean by that, if if you, if this is you, passionately sitting back and saying, oh God, I'd like to have a godly heritage. It's probably not going to happen. Because a godly heritage is something you have to be involved with yourself. It's not passive, it's active. To have a Godly heritage, you, you have to occupy something. You have to take it as territory from the enemy. To have a godly heritage, you, you have to have this conquest. You, you, you're receiving it like an inheritance that's, that's provided for you. It's a possession that you, that you hold on to. to. To get the godly heritage that God desires for our lives, we've got some, some previous tenets in here that we need to drive out. So we can have the godly heritage that that he wants us to have, and regrettably that 's not past tense for all of us because some of us, and I say some of us i 'm not talking about you, some of us, we've still got some tenants we need to chase off don 't we some things in our lives, some things in our hearts that if we want to have the godly possession, the godly heritage that, that the Lord desires for us, we need to deal with those tenants and chase those tenants out and, and, and grab hold of it as a as a godly heritage for. For God's glory. He said, you give me the heritage of those who morally fear fear your name, your very character. See, David had a heritage of those who revered the name of the character of God. He was from God's chosen people. He no doubt had a heritage that that maybe had taught him some things as, as a young boy. Because as we look at David's life, and yes, he was human and he made major mistakes as we're all human. But as we look at David's life, even early on, he's there playing a harp and writing amazing poetry and, and songs and just worshiping God in, in amazing ways. Even as a as, as that shepherd boy, he figured out that, that he could trust in God and God could help him deliver the sheep from a lion or from a bear. And he gets the faith that he needs to step out and say, I'll face the giant if no one else will face him. David, I think, must have had some of those things modeled for him. Maybe in the past heritage that he had within his family. And as I bring an application to Regina about that, I, Becky and I had known of Regina's family for a long time. I just We didn't... Uh, know of John and Regina until we started talking to them some about a ministry position here at our church. But I, I, at least from my outside picture looking in, and I know inside pictures can always be different. If you were to talk to my children about some inside pictures, you know, they probably wouldn't be all that they need to be uh, sometimes, you know. Well, yeah, he's a pastor, but he's got temper. <laughs> But from the outside looking in, I think Re- Regina was probably blessed to have a, a godly heritage. That, the you know, uh, parents that took her to church, and I think in her marriage, she's got a godly heritage. And we need to, we need to desire to have that our, ourselves. We need to, to experience a godly heritage, but just not experience it. I, I think we can also draw from what David writes, uh, a godly heritage expected. In the same verse I read a moment ago, you've given me a heritage of those who fear your name. But it's not just a, a past tense heritage. David also had a future heritage. He did have a past godly heritage, but he had a future godly heritage that he could look forward to, that he could anticipate, that he could expect. And by that, I mean much more than just David's going to heaven one day when he dies. David had an amazing promise from God. David was promised by God that, that his lineage would always sit on the throne. And the way that is ultimately fulfilled is through Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate heritage that David had to hold to and look toward. Because Jesus, if you trace his bloodline, it goes right back to King David. By the way, through King David and Bathsheba. So there's grace, thank God, isn't there? Because Bathsheba is the one that he committed, David committed adultery with. And if that's not a picture of grace, I don't know what is. Tracing his bloodline back through through Solomon. David had this promised heritage, something that would be occupied, a conquest that would take place, an inheritance that would take place in in Christ, a possession that would be his ultimately in Christ. That Jesus would come and previous tenants would be chased away. And through God's grace and God's mercy, we we can have salvation. Regina was sharing in her testimony uh, somewhat about God giving her the verse and being concerned about her children and, and starting to homeschool her children. And if I remember what John told me correctly, they even named their homeschool heritage, I, I think, because of this verse. So once again, bringing the application back to her, because it's her verse, her her life verse this Sunday, uh, I think as David had a future... Heritage expected. I I, I think Regina and John are expecting a future heritage as a goal in their family through their children. Because of them homeschooling. Because of their focus. Because of of God's dream that he he gave them. Because of them striving to have a a heritage of children who who revere the Lord. They're they're wanting to occupy. They're wanting to have a conquest and inheritance possession. They're wanting to drive out the wrong tenants within their family. And because I literally work with John, I get to see that maybe in a different way than than y'all get to see it. But some of you have been in their home and various things like that. And you get to see it also from from being close around them. But I I think they're anticipating and desiring a, a godly heritage. And we need that for our kids and our grandkids and our friends and our family. We need to be like Hannah. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 22. But Hannah did not go up, talking about going up to the temple. For she said to her husband, as soon as a child, talking about Samuel, as soon as a child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. You know the story. The story is this. She had promised God, if you give me a child because she had not had one, I will give him to you. And she's saying, once he's old enough, I'm going to take him to the temple as soon as he's weaned. And I'm going to leave him there and he's going to live there forever. Now, that's in a very physical way for her, but a very spiritual way for us. We ought to pray that over our children. I can remember praying before either one of our children were born. We have three children, one miscarriage, one already in heaven. But I remember praying before either of our children were born, saying, God, they're yours. You take them, you do with them whatever you want to do. That means they go to Africa and I never see them. If that means whatever, you take them and you use them however you want to. And that needs to be our focus, guys. We need to have a a focus for not just experiencing a spiritual heritage, but we need to desire one, expect one, future tense for for our children. So that brings us to John. John chose Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. And to help us kind of better understand those two verses, uh, some background that John also read in the video we, we need to look at for a moment. Because in the verses before this, verse 7 through verse 9, Paul writes these words, but whatever gain I had. In other words, anything that he thought made him significant, anything that he thought made him important, anything that he thought might have helped earn his way with God. Boy, whatever gain I had. Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Had this spiritual spiritual pedigree he could have maybe held on to and pridefully said, look at me. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as... Rubbish. Which, by the way, if any of you have ever done word studies, there literally when he said rubbish, he's talking about dung. Now that's not our average Caldwell County lingo. Do you want me to go further and explain to you what dung is? My. Oldest daughter Jessica and Matt were in the first service and I looked it over to them and I said, that's the thing that happens when your grandbaby comes to see you and smiles at you and strains a little bit and then you get to go clean a stinky diaper. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, who, as I said a moment ago, would have a lot to hold on to maybe and, and claim is being significant in his life. He said, as far as I'm concerned, it's done. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. In other words, not who Paul was. Not Paul's good works. That comes from trying to obey the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's letting us know that he's willing to turn loose of things. Willing to count not just negative things in his life, but the things that maybe he thought were great achievements that might could have earned him a status with God. He's he's willing to count those things as as nothing. Then he goes on in verse 12. Once again, some more background before we get to John's verses. And, And he said, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not already completely mature in my faith. He said, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. You'll think about that as a concept. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you ought to have the desire to be all you can be for Him. Amen? And that gets us to John's two verses. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Two things. Paul writes with a very humble focus. An humble focus. He said, brothers, I, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Even the little word I there is something that has some significance that we may not give it when we read it in the scriptures. sometimes, but the word that he uses there in the Greek language means emphatically so. It's not like Paul is saying, well, you know, I've, I've, I've pretty much attained it. No, emphatically, he's saying emphatically, I'm not where I ought to be yet. Emphatically, he says with an absolute negative, it's not like an iffy thing Paul says with an absolute negative, absolutely, as I take an inventory of my life, as I count my life, as I give an estimate of my life, he said, I've not made it my own yet. In other words, I've I've not made my Christian maturity. I've not, I've not attained it yet. I've not grabbed hold of all of it yet. I'm not seized it. I've not grabbed hold of it as a possession He's telling us in no uncertain terms, emphatically, he's saying, I've, I could have done more. I could be further along. Now, I want to remind you who's writing that, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. He's displaying a very humble focus. He's, he's not satisfied with what he has done. He's not looking at his life and saying, man, I've I've already robbed. Look at all I've already done. Instead, he appears to be focusing upon his life as he takes an estimate, and inventory of his life, and he's saying, you know what? I, I could be further along than I am right now. You want to be honest along with me right now? Could you not be further along in your spiritual maturity than you are right now? Hmm? All of us, huh? If we're not wasted time, if we're not take, taking this diversion, if we're not got off the path and gone a different direction at times in, in our life, even after receiving Christ as our Savior, we, we could be further along than we are now. So in, in great humility, he's saying, I've not arrived yet, but he doesn't just stop here. He, he goes on, and, and um, I, I'm really not trying to strain at alliteration today. When I say a hone focus, you're going to think, man, you really tried to alliterate that, didn't you? And, uh, and everything. I told the first service, John will probably fuss at me for trying to alliterate this and, uh, and, and, and all, but, but you'll understand what I mean by hone focus in, in a moment, a sharpened focus. Maybe a laser focus would be a more modern terminology that we might use. But Paul writes these words. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's already counted things as loss. And now he's he's saying I there's this one thing I want to do I, that I'm trying to focus on. I'm I'm not where I ought to be, but he said, This one thing I'm I'm gonna do, I'm gonna I'm gonna forget my past, I'm gonna press forward into my future. He's he's talking about having a sharpened focus, and and I think a sharpened focus in our in our Christian life, I started to bring a knife on stage, guys, and I thought, you know, we may have some first-time guests after outflowing and they might get weirded out. And they think, why is he sharpening a knife on stage? But when you sharpen a knife, you, you do it by pulling it across the stone, you turn it over and pull it across the stone, you turn it over and pull it across the stone. So a way we can sharpen our lives, we can have a more home focus in our lives, I think Paul gives us two things to to focus on here. And the first one is dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Forget the past. He said, but, but one thing I do, this one primary thing I, I do, I'm, I'm going to forget what lies behind. The, the word that he uses there in the Greek means to lose it out of your mind, to, to neglect it, what was in the rear, what was in the past. A moment ago, he was talking about Loss. And he was talking about counting things for loss that a lot of people would think, man, that's gained. That's something you ought to hold on to and claim. And he said, no, I'm, I'm throwing all that away for faith in Jesus. He w- wasn't satisfied with his past. Whether it was something good or whether it was something negative that had happened in his past. Paul, Paul understood that God has some things ahead of him, irregardless of what had happened in the past, whether it was good or whether it was bad. Now, don't misunderstand me. We can learn from our past, but you don't need to live in your past. You you don't need to stay wrapped up in your past, bound up in what your your past was. We we don't need to allow our our past circumstances, whether they're negative or positive, to hinder our, our future following of Jesus. And I'm afraid that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people will let negative circumstances, hurtful circumstances in their past keep them so wrapped up in pity or bitterness that they can't move forward into the future that God has for them. And the opposite of that, people also allow to keep them from moving into the future, is that they live so much in the past of what they have done for God that they're so wrapped up in what they have accomplished that they try to live there in what they've already done instead of understanding God has things for them to do in the future. I heard a Southern Baptist evangelist several years ago that was really popular in that time and and traveled around a lot, but I heard him make this statement, and he was involved in in really a lot of revival movements, I think, of of that day. But he made this statement once. He said that he had discovered that the greatest hindrance to a future move of God were the people that were involved in the past move of God. And he said that, and I thought, wow. He's saying that What's hindering the church being what it needs to be now in the future are people who feel like they did this and that in the 50s or the 60s and they had this growth happen in their churches and they had revivals taking place and they're so living in their past glory that they're missing the future glory that God has for them. They're, that they're missing the future purpose that that the Lord has. That they, they in, instead of just staying in the past, they... They need to move forward. We don't need to let anything in the past dull our our future as Christians. Instead, we need to lose it out of our mind. Whether it's something positive or something negative, don't let it keep you from living the future that God wants you to have. Get it out of your mind. So the, the first way to hone or sharpen your life is dissatisfaction. Forget the past. The second way to hone or sharpen your life is devotion. And I literally use the phrase that John gave his band, which is forward motion. Paul writes these words, he said, In straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He uses some terminology here that's really athletic-based, like involved in in games, someone running a race. He, he said, "I'm I'm stretching forward upon I'm I'm reaching forth, I'm extending forward to what lies in a fixed position in front of me, in place or destination or occasion or time. There, there's something that God has." Paul is saying that, that God has in a fixed position in front of me, and I'm stretching it, and I'm, I'm leaning toward it. I'm pressing on toward the goal. I, I'm pursuing it, even with the intensity, as though you're trying to persecute something. I, I'm ensuing it. The, the Greek word is the Greek word skopos, which we get our English word scope from. Paul is saying, I know God has in a fixed position in front of me a purpose, a plan, and I'm trying to scope it out. I'm trying to peer ahead into what God's call is upon my life. I'm, I'm on guard like a sentry or a scout. I'm looking for the goal or the mark that God has laid ahead of me. I'm trying to peer into it and discover what it is instead of living in the past and being satisfied there. God has this prize, and that terminology in the Greek literally talked about an award given in games, in athletic games. Of this upward call. God has an upward call. He's calling aloud, an upward call. The supreme divinity has this upward call in a fixed position through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And you see, what is true for Paul is also true for our lives and what john discovered was true for for his life irregardless of what we've experienced in our past god has some things in a fixed position he desires for us out in front of us we need to strain for it lean toward it try to grab it try and take it as our possession we need to be scoping it out we need to understand he has a forward motion for us in an upward call for us instead of us just living in the past In applying that to John, when John went through some difficulty in a, in a situation a few years ago, John had the choice of becoming bitter and letting that bitterness eat him up. He had the choice of living in the past, whether it was good or negative, things he thought he had accomplished or the negative hurt that maybe he was going through. What God led him to do, part of it through this verse in his life, was to understand that God had something else planned for him. And he decided to stretch forward, to reach forward, to scope out, to try and find that future that God wanted. I'm not saying that trying to exalt John in some way because he's as human as I am. He can fall on his face tomorrow. Regina will probably call and tell us about it. But I'm simply saying that we have to do the same thing, guys. We we can't live in the past. We all have choices that we make or have made. The enemy wants to keep us in our past. Keep us locked up, looking at our past, focused upon our past, whether it was good or whether it was bad. God wants to call us forward and upward to his call. I told you he's using language that deals with running a race. Some of you have been involved in track events and and, and things like that. If you're running a race, if you're going to run effectively and as fast as you can, you know what you have to do? You have to stay focused on what the goal is. Because if, as you're running the race, you start looking off to the side, you're going to slow down and you're not going to run as directly and with the purpose that you ought to. Some of you guys were guilty of that in track, weren't you, in high school? You're running and you think, man, that girl, that, that's a cheerleader looking at me. And in that moment, you slowed down and you lost focus. That, that's a problem that we have. We, we look at the sideline. We look at the past instead of looking at the goal that God has ahead of us. You ever been to the Hickory Crawl Dad's game or another baseball game somewhere and they do the Dizzy Bat thing? You ever tried that? They'll mess you up. Darrell, our, our associate pastor with our children upstairs, you can go by and laugh at him on the way out or whatever. I remember watching him do that years ago. And he went around and around and around as fast as he could. It was like he was trying to show off how fast he could go around the bat. And he took off running and almost went into the dugout to break his neck. <laughs> you see, that's, I'm afraid, a picture of what we do a lot of times. We're so busy going around and around and around and around and around the things of the world. That we are kind of dizzy when it comes to our spiritual activity, and instead of running the race with our eye on the goal and running straight toward it, we're wobbling all over the place. When what we need to have is a, is a hone focus in our life, God has a plan for your future, no matter what your past has been, no matter if you've had great things happen or very bad things happen. God has a future for you. And and if, you'll, and if you'll be dissatisfied and have devotion, dissatisfied with your past and have devotion, keep telling yourself, I've not arrived yet, but I'm going to keep reaching ahead. I'm not where I should be, but I'm going to keep moving. I got hurt in the past, but God has a future for me. I did great things in the past, but I'm not going to be satisfied with that. God has a future. He has a forward motion for me and an upward call, and, and I'm going to lean toward that upward call. Philippians 3, Paul kind of gives us a spiritual biography. He tells us about his past in verse 1 through 11, his present in verse 12 through 16, and his future in verse 17 through 21. All of us have a past, all of us right now have a present. As far as we know, barring God taking us out of this world, we've got a future. And we need to stretch forward the future that God has for us. Paul started in chapter 1 of Philippians with something pretty amazing. and I'm going to read that and then I'll close. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Do you see that? That needs to be our focus. That needs to be our goal. Whatever's happened to you, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whatever's happened to you, you need to allow it to be something that can serve to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in Paul's particular instance, he's even saying the fact that he's in prison. Because it goes on, and he said, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Do you know what Paul just said? Even me being in prison is something good and it's something that God has a purpose in because I'm winning the imperial guard to Jesus as I'm here in the prison and I'm sharing the gospel with them. And he said, through the experience, most of all, brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, he said, I'm much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's trying to win people that want to chop his head off in prison. So whatever your lot has been in the past, whatever you've experienced, whether it's good or whether it's bad, God has a future for you, a forward motion. Today, we've started a series called Life Verses that's probably going to take about eight weeks. May take longer because I threw out at the end of the first service that if any of you have a life verse that's just pounding out of your chest you need to tell me about, tell me about it, and we may do the series just a little bit longer. I had not even got out in the connection area, and the lady came over and said, Let me tell you my life verse. That we may add to it. So I'll tell you the same thing. If you've got a life verse that you have just got to share, then come talk to me and let me know. We may add a few Sundays on to this. You've heard a life verse from John and Regina. That God gave them that it was something they could hold on to in, in some times that were really trying for them. So can I ask you a question before we come to the end of the service to this thing we call an invitation. Can I ask you if you have a life verse yourself? I mean, Is there anything in the Word of God? Have you, have you been reading the Bible? Maybe I need to ask you that to start with. Hey, have you been reading God's Word? Have you been spending time there? Because that's where God gives you a life verse. Did you know God well enough to where you heard Him speak to your life? Do you have some verses that God has given you that that you can build your life around, that, that you have used to make significant change in your life? I hope all of you can say yes. But if you can't say yes, I hope you'll get busy with it and find some life verses. And if you don't know God as your Savior, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, That's where it starts. To have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about you earning your own righteousness. Paul said, I count all that as loss. He said it's about having faith in Jesus. And if you've never trusted Christ, I pray you will today. And I pray you'll get serious with God. And that you'll have some verses to build your life around. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, for caring enough to speak to us. God, in bad times and good times, you've got a word for us to direct our lives. Lord, help us to be, to be building our relationship with you, to be actively seeking us a godly heritage that we understand is something we have to we have to go out and grab not grabbing salvation by our works but through faith in, in your son being saved but then building from there and, and, and wanting a godly heritage so much that we grab it that we go on a conquest, that we drive out previous tenants that don't need to be in our lives or in the life of our family. God, help us to to experience a godly heritage, but God, help us to to expect it, to invest it into our friends and our, our family, our children. Lord, whatever in our past, Good or bad, help us to count it as lost, not to live there. But instead, help us to answer the, the forward call, the forward motion, the upward call. Help us to stretch forward, to run the race focused upon your finish line, which is the upward call that you have for our lives. Not just when we die, not just in a time the Bible talks about as a rapture, but God, you've got an upward call for us each and every day of our lives. Help us to answer that upward call. Which in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand if the Lord speaks to your heart. And you need to come. We invite you.
0: Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day3Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day3Church. Experience a new day in
2: your life.